0: And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As mentioned, we have been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer over the last uh, number of weeks together. And uh, one of the things that we have highlighted, especially last time that we were together, was the abiding relevance of confession. Confessing our sins is not only a good practice, but is a relevant practice in the life of faith. Uh, It is not meant to be demeaning, but ultimately to be liberating, uh, because it allows us to face the truth. It allows us to acknowledge our own shortcomings, to deal with guilt, rather than to simply become hardened against it uh, or to ignore it altogether. Uh, The Bible and Jesus himself is teaching us what do we do uh, when we realize we have done wrong. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus was teaching his disciples that they could come to God uh, with their guilt. To address him as father in Christ knowing of his pity and compassion. And to know that God is a God who forgives their sins. But the knowledge of who God is and of his mercy is meant to shape the way that Christians relate with others. Uh, Jesus brought together these two realities of what I understand about God is meant to shape the way that I treat other people. And those who have received God's forgiveness are therefore to be people who are marked by a desire to forgive others. Uh, we highlighted last time how the Apostle Peter said that love covers a multitude of sins and that Christians should just desire uh, to forgive others, realizing things in their perspective and rather going around uh, with a, a grudge or holding bitterness. Christians are to live in response to what God has done for them. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so there is to be this this aim, there is to be this approach to life that wants to do good to others, to relieve others of the burden of their wrongdoing, uh, to mend ways, and to do what is good uh, in the sight of one's neighbor. And we highlighted as well that when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness ultimately extends to what we call reconciliation. Reconciliation is ultimately when two people come together, when they are united uh, in their purpose and in their aim. And you remember that Jesus himself highlights that reconciliation is one in which people are brought together uh, by a common purpose. And so in Luke 17, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times and turns to you and uh, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so Jesus is saying that our, our life should be one that recognizes that even when others have wronged us, that we are willing and desiring to do good to our neighbor because of God's grace towards us in our life. But we recognize that ultimately unity and peace is when there is that aim on both sides. So our, our approach is always to be uh, uh, not harboring a grudge, but seeking and reaching out to another person with the aim of their betterment and of uh, showing love uh, towards them. But Jesus, when he made that uh, petition, uh, when he gave that petition to his disciples, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, you see how it naturally or logically flows into the next petition and lead us not into temptation. Uh, Just as we recognize that we have all sinned, Uh, Our next petition is a recognition of our vulnerability to indulging or engaging in sin. And so this evening we want to look at, because we're all vulnerable to the deceitfulness of sin, then we are to pray uh, for God's protection and his sustaining grace. We want to think about uh, the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer in three thoughts. We want to think about the danger. We want to think about the deliverance and we wanna think about the doxology. Well, first, there is the danger itself. Uh, It says there in verse 13, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation is a word that can mean trial. It can mean test, and it can mean temptation. It's a word that it depends on the context to understand what word best fits. It really depends on the motive behind the situation to understand what is being described here. Is the motive to ensnare, to trap, to cause the, uh, the, the fall of another? Or is the motive uh, to, to bring out something, to uncover something about the individual? Is it a good motive or is it a bad motive? Times of testing uh, are inevitable. As moral creatures, We make choices every day. Those choices that you make express your values. They express your loyalty. They express your commitment. They express your character. And so simply by making choices, you are saying something about yourself. You are, in other words, uncovering something about what you value. You are uncovering something about your commitments. You are saying something about your character. So it's inevitable that testing is part of life. Any choice you are making is showing, it's uncovering something, which is what a test does. You young people uh, in school, at some point, you will have tests. You may be asked to uh, do a spelling test, you may be asked to do a math test, you may have to do a history test, or when you get older you'll do a driver's test. Those tests are not aimed at uh, tricking you. They're not aimed at finding a way to trap you uh, in some uh, bad way. Rather, they're aimed at uncovering. Have you been able to grasp the content? Do you understand how this formula works? Do you remember what happened in that battle? And so the test is simply drawing out something that otherwise Uh, The teacher wouldn't know if the student understood it. And, And sometimes the test itself has the opportunity to bring out and to solidify us. Sometimes when someone asks you a question and you start talking about things, they might ask you, did you read that book? And you say, yeah, I read that book. And they ask you, well, what happened in the book? And then now you're telling them the whole story of the book that you read. And as you talk, you're bringing together parts and you're you're actually drawing out connections. It's actually molding it in your mind. You're able to say, I understand it. And you feel more sure about the content of the book as a result of articulating and expressing what you read. Trials and tests are an opportunity for growth. And so not only are they inevitable, but they're a good thing. That's why when we read there in the book of James, James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. It's the same word. When you meet, tem- when you meet tests, you are to count it as all joy. Uh, tests of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It has, it has an opportunity for growth. The apostle Peter said the same thing. He said that even now, if you're grieved by various trials, various tests, so that the tested genuineness of your faith might produce to the glory of uh, the Lord Jesus. And so as we're coming to look at this petition, tests are inevitable because tests uncover something that was otherwise hidden. And by making choices in life, You are showing something of your own commitments, your loyalties, your character, uh, where you stand on your values. Tests are something good because they give an opportunity for growth and for uh, stabilizing and solidifying in our own minds where we stand on certain things. But we also know that the scriptures teach us that God does test. You remember Abraham. Abraham was tested by God. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham passed that test. God was uncovering where did Abraham's loyalties really lie. He loved his son. But did he trust his God? Did he trust his God to be faithful to his promise, even when it didn't make sense? You remember Israel was tested in the wilderness. Israel failed. They grumbled, they complained, they asked, why can't we go back to Egypt? It would have been better in Egypt. But they were still being tested to uncover, did they trust in the Lord to provide for them? Did they trust in the Lord to care for them? And so the scriptures highlight that God is a God who tests. And those tests are ultimately for our good. So this petition, can't be talking about avoiding trials in life. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he's not saying exempt us from times of testing. He's not saying spare us of trials. Jesus is saying something different. These are inevitable things that will come simply by making choices in life. What Jesus is praying here in verse 13, he says, and pray, lead us not into temptation. And down through the centuries, the Christian church has understood those words as how Jesus spoke to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember before Jesus himself was crucified, he went to the garden with his disciples and he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he went a little further and then he began to pray. And when Jesus came back to his disciples, he found them sleeping. And do you remember what Jesus said to them? Jesus told them that they are, were to be watching and praying. He told them that they were to be watching and praying that they may not enter into temptation. To enter into temptation is different than to just be tested. To enter into it is to be in a state in which one is now considering contemplating engaging with sin as something desirable where one is now vulnerable to sin as it's presenting itself to you. Jesus was telling his disciples to be aware because he said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and so when Jesus says uh, not to be uh, uh, entering into temptation he's he's talking about a state in which we consider the prospect of giving in to sin Again, we read in the book of James, and James writes, each person is tempted, after saying that we should not say that a person is tempted by God, James explains each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. The danger of temptation then arises from the inward inclination within us to entertain and to give in to sin. The reason why Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray these words is because there is a vulnerability in our desires, in our will, that we are still easily enticed by our own desires and we're susceptible to sin. The French uh, magisterial reformer, John Calvin, in the 16th century, John Calvin pointed out that these temptations can come from different directions. What John Calvin said, from the left and from the right. In other words, temptation does not just come from one area that we have to be aware of, but rather we can be tempted from either extreme. But what did Calvin mean when he said, from the right and from the left? Calvin said from the right are the riches, the uh, honor, the power, uh, which often dull men's keenness of sight by the glitter and the seeming goodness that they display. And allure with their blandishments so that captivated by such tricks and drunk with such sweetness, men forget their God. The power, the glories, the wealth, the comforts of this world can cause a person to be tempted to forget their God. They're enticed by these things. And it's as though God is no more. From the left, Calvin says, uh, there is the poverty, the disgrace, the contempt, the afflictions and the like, thwarted by the hardship and the difficulty of these. They become despondent in their mind, cast away all assurance of hope, and are at last completely estranged from God. The hardships of life, the despair that comes, leaves a person without any hope, And as a result, they cut themselves off from considering God. A person can be tempted in different directions, not just by prosperity, but even by hard times as well. Not just by riches, but by pain. And so here is this recognition that different situations can bring to the forefront aspects that otherwise would not have risen to the surface. We see something of our own selves emerge that we uh, would not have otherwise recognized. And we respond to different situations that we are faced with. We can even say that sometimes the only thing that prevents a person from indulging in a certain direction is the fact that the opportunity may not have been even presented. So Jesus here is teaching his disciples to pray a certain way that we are to pray from a posture of humility. We're to pray from a posture of dependence because we are weak. We're to pray from an understanding that sin crouches at the door and we're to recognize our need of God's strength. We are to ask the Lord that in his providence he would protect us from those situations or occurrences where we might be inclined to entertain sin. So how do we resist temptation? Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Watching means perceptivity, that you're on guard, that you recognize a certain danger. uh, And so you take the first steps to guard against the first approaches of uh, sin, uh, taking a foothold. Because as Ezekiel Hopkins points out how hard a thing it is to keep ourselves from sinful actions once sinful desires are excited in us. Once the spark of a fire starts, it's hard to put the fire out. And so we need to be on guard against that spark taking root. Our own experience provides a gauge for areas of where we have been uh, weak and vulnerable in the past, and we shouldn't be ignorant of our own tendencies. And so we should plan ahead and be prepared for situations where we might be inclined to sin. But we should also recognize what Scripture says elsewhere, that no temptation has overtaken a person that is not common to all people. I was reading a book recently by a man named Brian Chappell. Brian Chappell is a a pastor. He was a seminary president. Uh, But Brian Chappell was reflecting on that passage. And he said, when I was younger, I took great comfort in that passage because it highlighted that we all struggle in this life, that what I'm going through is not unique to me. And so I can find comfort in the fact that what I'm going through, I'm not going through by myself. But then Chapel said that as I've matured as a Christian, I've come to the conclusion that what this verse is telling me is that there is no struggle in others that to some degree I do not share myself. That when I look around and I see how sin ensnares people, how sin takes a person and captivates them, I don't look at that and say, I could never do that. But rather, Chapel was saying, we should realize that there is no temptation that is not common to any one of us. We are to take heed lest any one of us falls, because we're all vulnerable. That's the point. And so here is this prayer uh, recognizing the inward vulnerability. We are told uh, about our own uh, vulnerability towards sin, and so we should be aware of it. The scriptures tell us uh, that we are to flee from idolatry. We are to flee from sexual immorality. We are to flee from the love of money. That means we recognize these are areas where we can fall short, where we can be enticed by sin. You remember in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel came out uh, of Egypt, they came towards uh, the promised land. And you remember there was Achan. And it tells us that it was when Achan saw the garments and the silver and the gold, when he gazed at them. Then he coveted them and stole them. But he gazed at them. There There was that entering into temptation where he was now considering the sin, and then it gave birth to sin in his life. So here is a recognition of the inward tendency to be rerouted towards a sinful aim. And Jesus teaches us that we are to watch, but he also teaches us that we are to pray. We are to pray for grace to remain committed to the Lord. We are to pray beforehand uh, so that we would be uh, uh, not vulnerable. But we're even to pray, if necessary, even in the moment. But can you pray those words this evening? Can you pray, lead me not into temptation? Can you pray, lead me in your paths and keep my eyes from worthless things? Or do you want sin in your life? Are you happy with the way things are? Or are you wanting to be rid of sin? Seeing sin for what it is. Do we take sin seriously? Jesus teaches us that we should. We need God's pardon. We need God's forgiveness. But we should also want sin to be gone from our lives. We want to be kept from temptation. We want to be delivered from evil. And that is the pulse of the believer. Not only are we to be desiring to be delivered from internal danger, but we're also desiring external deliverance as well. Back in verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word evil uh, has... the the article, the word the before it. So you can think of evil here either in the abstract, uh, the the power of evil, or you can think of it as the evil one, the wicked one, uh, deliver us from Satan himself. But in either case, the difference is really not that much. Uh, In either case, we're talking about uh, the idea of the power of evil And we're recognizing that the danger is not evil only within, but evil outside of us as well. And so when you think about what Jesus is saying, again, we have to simply ask ourselves, do we assent to the fact that there is evil in the world? Do you recognize that there is evil around you? Do you recognize not just that there is a problem outside of you, but do you recognize that there's a problem inside of you? And if you can recognize that there is evil around us, and that the evil around us is also to be found in us, then we need to ask ourselves, and what are you looking to for deliverance from evil? Are you looking inward, or are you looking to God? And here Jesus is teaching us that we are to be looking to God to deliver us from evil itself. Jesus teaches us that we can expect evil to be defeated because God's reign will be realized and uh, he is almighty. And so sin will be no more. So this uh, ending of the Lord's Prayer deals with danger, the danger within of giving in to temptation the danger around the evil that we see and engage with in this world but we also in this prayer are asking for deliverance uh, itself jesus came into this world to deliver us from this present evil age it says in galatians in 1st thessalonians it says that jesus came into this world to deliver us from the wrath to come that deliverance came because jesus chose not to deliver himself from execution Because he chose not to deliver himself uh, from the hands that had nailed him to the cross. Jesus laid down his life so that we could be set free from condemnation ourselves. As we were looking at in Colossians, it says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we ask ourselves, have I been delivered from the curse of sin. Have I been delivered. From the penalty of sin itself. Jesus is saying. That we can be delivered. From condemnation. But we're also to pray. Not only to be delivered. From condemnation of sin. But we're to being taught here. To pray. Those who have known. Forgiveness of sins. Are still to pray. Lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil, because we want to be delivered not just from the condemning curse of sin, but from the entanglement of sin. We don't want to be wrapped up in sin anymore. We don't want to be entangled and falling prey to the schemes of the evil one. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he told them to put on the whole armor of God, to be strong in the strength of his might, uh, to live in light of the word of God. But that happens as they behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. How is it that we can resist temptation? How is it that we do not come into temptation? Ultimately, it's when we are fixated on something greater. When there's a greater desire for Jesus then Satan's schemes and lies are seen to be what they are because we're more interested in the glory of God and Christ. That we're more interested in the God who condescends, the God who is high and lifted up, who condescends and meets us in our lowly state in order that we might be exalted in him. When we're more caught up with that than we are with the immediate temptation, the immediate presentation, then these things lose their grip, they lose their hold on us. Deliverance from sin is by the work of the spirit when we're fixated on the Lord Jesus. But not only are we praying for deliverance uh, from uh, evil now, but we're also praying for deliverance from evil ultimately. Deliverance not only from the entanglements of sin, but from the presence of evil itself. That we might enjoy a blessed state when sin will be no more. In other words, we're praying here for the consummation. Deliver us from evil entirely. Christians are not to live simply focused on the here and now. This is the way things will always be. But we are to pray with a mind and with an eye to the time when evil will be no more. We're to pray these words, believing that there will come a day when the harassment of sin, when the taunting of the evil one, when the distraction of sin will be put away. Things will not be the way they always are, but we are to trust that we are being ready. We are being guarded for a salvation that is being ready to be revealed at the last time, a time when Christ returns and evil is put away. So we have here the danger, temptation, evil. We have here the deliverance. Deliver us from the entanglements of sin. Deliver us from the presence of sin altogether. But then finally, we have the doxology. As mentioned before, uh, the vast majority of the manuscripts include an ending uh, to the Lord's Prayer. A very fitting ending because it gives us the basis, not only for ending with praise, but also for confidence in these petitions. How is it that I can believe that evil will be no more? How is it that I can believe that temptation will not be victorious in the end? And in the ending of the Lord's Prayer, we have uh, the attributes of God being celebrated. Uh, The uh, attributes that highlight that God's kingdom, his glory, his power, and his eternality are all being celebrated. God's kingdom, for yours is the kingdom. God is sovereign. His reign is supreme, and so his will will be realized. Evil will be removed. God's power, God is almighty, and he can do more than we ask or think. And so the evil of this world will not reign. We ask, knowing God's glory, his excellence, knowing that these petitions are aimed at his glory, we can know that they will be done. Forever, God's eternality and God's immutability. God's purposes will not change, and they will endure forever. And so as you think about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Jesus came to deliver us from the works of the evil one. He came to establish his kingdom. His kingdom will come. And we can be confident of that. Because the glory belongs to God, and his purposes will be realized. Because his kingdom is supreme and sovereign. Because his power is unmatched and will not be thwarted. And because God's purposes will endure for all eternity. And so we can pray these words. They're bold words. But they're words based on a knowledge of who God is. And so as we think about the Lord's Prayer, confession is good but it's confession that leads us towards God and causes us to rest in the God who's revealed himself to us. And Jesus is teaching us that we can trust in God as he's revealed his grace and truth in the Lord Jesus. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer? And are you trusting in the one who gave us this prayer?